Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Welcome to the Golf Central Podcast presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Sim Driver. The driver head was in need of a drastic change in order to provide more performance. So TaylorMade changed the shape altogether with their new Sim Driver, which allowed them to make it fast and forgiving where every golfer needs it in the downswing. The pros love the new shape, but the biggest reason TaylorMade changed the shape was to help make you into a better golfer. Check out TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information on the all-new Sim family. I'm Rex. He's Labner. We have a big week ahead of us lab at the WGC in Memphis. And then, of course, next week, the season's first and only major championship, the PGA Championship. Before we get to that, I want to touch on what happened last week at the 3M Open. Uh, he did not win. He gave himself an opportunity. In your mind, does Tony Finau walk away from the 3M Open feeling like it was a good week or another missed opportunity? I think he's probably more disappointed, Rex, by what happened uh, at the 3M than he was at the Memorial. And it, look, it wasn't a very good Sunday at the Memorial either. He shot 78 in the in the final round. But I think you could kind of chalk that up to certainly some demanding conditions, the most difficult we've seen cer- certainly since the restart. Um, but also maybe even um, some course management uh, problems that he had, not just in the final round, but during the course of the weekend. That I seen think that kind of seemed to be the last straw with his longtime caddy, uh, Greg Bodine. And so they, they, they parted ways last week in Minnesota and he had swing coach Boyd Summerhays on the bag. And, you know, for, for three and a half rounds, it looked like uh, it was a genius move. You know, Tony seemed to be playing freely. He seemed to be making better uh, decisions on the golf course. And then it was a familiar pattern that we saw uh, on Sunday. He, he took the lead and then he kind of stalled out in the final round. And, and look, that's, that's what we've seen. Ever since he, he won on the PGA Tour, that opposite field event in Puerto Rico in 2016, Rex, he's got the most top 10 finishes on tour without a win in that period with 30, 30 top 10 finishes on the PGA Tour since his victory. That's the most on tour by far. Tommy Fleetwood is, is next on that list with 16. So I want to I dive into this a little bit. What do, you, what do you think is going on with Finau? Why is someone who's clearly a top 20 talent on the PGA tour, not winning more. Uh, very good topic. Before I get to that, I, I, just out of curiosity for my own personal sake, how many zoom calls or too many zoom calls to be on at one time? Cause I'm on two as it stands right now. What's the second one? Well, I'm waiting for an interview. I am in Memphis and that's the way we're doing interviews. You, you've been here, you've done these interviews. So I have two zoom calls lined up on my screen and I feel like my ADD is at an all time high right now. So I'm thinking, Two Zoom calls may be too many Zoom calls for me. I thought JT's not talking for another hour. It is, He's not, it is, central, I, it is central time there, Rex. It is, but I'm still kind of just – my mind is wandering between Can Zoom Can you please calls. focus on the task at hand? This is a no, very important podcast. This I is the cannot. most important thing. This is the most important thing you're doing today. 
it, it clearly is. I, no, the interesting thing about Tony, and this goes to the question that we always have in these situations, did Tony lose the tournament or did Michael Thompson win? I would make Michael an argument. Michael Thompson won it. Yes, I would make an argument. I would make an argument that John Rahm won the week before at the Memorial. I mean, if you look, Tony Finau closes with a final round 68 last week at TPC Twin Cities. I don't know. I'm sure there's plenty of things you can go back and we can dissect his round and we can say he should have done this differently or that differently. I think I'm not saying every opportunity and you just pointed out an amazing stat that nobody has more top 10 finishes without victories than Tony Finau. However, I would be curious, how many of those can we really go and dissect and come up with, okay, this is where he lost it. I don't know. There's, there's that many opportunities for that. Look, I think he, he could very easily be a four, five, six time winner on the PGA tour at this point in his career. And I think that's what's expected of him. Someone who has the awesome gifts that he has physically, there's an expectation that you are going to win uh, at least once a year on the PGA tour. It's just, it just seems like a given for someone who, who does have that kind of talent. I, I think Rex, there, there might be a couple of things going on here. I think his longtime caddy probably got scapegoated in the, in the fact that Tony was frustrated uh, by not being able to get back in the winner's circle now for, for four years. And, and it was a situation where he wanted to mix things up. Uh, a suggestion that perhaps it was more mental than physical. He just wanted something to, to have a spark. I think that's interesting. Uh, his final round scoring average is 171st on the PGA Tour, uh, which probably suggests that he's not comfortable on Sundays. And in fact, that the 3M was the first time in his last eight starts that he had a better Sunday than he had on Saturday. So I think that's uh, also telling as well. And it's something and I think we, we talked about this last week on the podcast and with, with this distance boom on the PGA Tour that Bryson's kind of made uh, more popular now, is that Tony Finau, we always talk about he's got the, the extra gear on tour, right? That he can, he can let it go. You were the one who posted the video of him dialing up his ball speed to 206 and, um, you know, he can hit it 380 with a carry, except he's not, he's not airing it out on the PGA Tour every week. In fact, someone who claims that he's the longest hitter on the PGA Tour, he's actually only 19th in distance and 29th in strokes gained off the tee, which if you consider some of the biggest hitters on the PGA Tour, 29th in strokes gained off the tee, that's not maximizing the okay. talent in the gifts that you have. So I think I'm going to throw the stats flag right now. I think now. that's interesting. Let's, let's go easy on the stats. Let, let, let's dial back the stats. You just seem to keep wading through. And I think this goes to, and, and I'll take responsibility for this. Me showing you where stats center was last week is oh, clearly now. Yes. Game I can changer. see it now. Now that we, we're, we're not even five minutes in to the podcast and you have thrown out about 10 stats. So but look, let's dial, I, I dial think those back. The, the point, the point is that he has consciously decided not to maximize his greatest advantage. And that, to me, is to his detriment. I'm not going to debate that. And look, I, I guess the conversation would turn at this point, is he an underachiever or is he simply not been lucky? I guess you can look at he's it from a, both he's a, I think he's a, I think he's a massive, a massive underachiever, and I, but I think oh, there's still massive. time. He's, he, he's, he's 30 years old. He's in, the, he's in the prime of his career. He clearly has developed into a, 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 an all-around player. He's not just a, just a, a brawny bomber like we've – like you've seen uh, when, when he was growing up. He's, he's turned into a, a, a very solid putter. His, his wedge play continues to get better. Boyd Summerhays certainly has him on the right track. I think the last hurdle is learning how to win. The fact that he has one PJ Tour win, and it was an opposite field event, this deep in his career is, is a little bit problematic. 
uh, problematic, maybe even a little concerning. I will agree with you on that one. I don't know, and I guess this is how you view life through which lens, right? I mean, do you view it through the lens of social media where everyone seems to have an opinion and they don't mind throwing it out there? And of course, he's going to be labeled an underachiever. I just don't know how many legitimate opportunities he's actually had. Like I said, I'll go back to last week at the 3M. I don't know what he could have or should have done coming down the stretch. And I guess if you want to break it down, I mean, if we want to go shot by shot, there were plenty of opportunities. You can say that about every round of golf. I just don't know in this particular case, certainly at the Memorial, there's nothing he could have done to change that outcome. I mean, look, as bad as John Rahm played, he's on the back nine on Sunday, he still blew the field away. So I just would I'd want to look But Tony at Finau was also the 36-hole co-leader at the Memorial, and he, he absolutely imploded on the weekend. Sure. No, and, 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 look, and, let's, and let's be clear that, that Tony Finau had the lead on the front nine in Minnesota on Sunday and did not get it done. And I will give you uh, one stats, get out of jail free card here. The final round scoring average is very telling. You can sit here and make excuses and talk about what went right, what went wrong. And maybe I got lucky. Maybe I didn't. Once you have a body of work that let's face it, we're far enough into the season now that you can look at that final round scoring average. Well, we're almost at the end of the season. Now you can look at the final round scoring average and that is very problematic. Do you think that Tony Finau is too nice? No, I don't buy that argument because I think I've heard that so many times when it comes to Roy McIlroy that he's too nice. And I, I'll just point to the majors and how long he spent at world number one. I, I don't buy the idea that nice guys can't do that, that everyone has to be mean and everyone's got to scowl at people and everyone got to have a chip on their shoulder. I, I'm not I'm saying not you, I'm not saying you got to be mean. I'm saying there, I think to be great at anything, there's, there is a certain level of cutthroatedness oh. that, that, that you need to have. What's what's the common critique about Ricky Fowler? Too nice. Too nice. What's the common critique about Adam Scott? Too nice. I mean, well, there's other ways we can say this. We're, we're dancing around other comments that people would make about Adam Scott, Ricky Fowler, and certainly Tony Fino. And this Was that being situation. soft? Sure. That's another way of saying it. Appreciate you go ahead and throwing it out there. By all means, don't stop if you just want to keep rattling them off. That's that is the critique of those players. I'm not. I'm not. I'm asking. Is that a valid critique? No, I, I don't buy it. Because again, I point to Roy McIlroy, who, in my opinion, is one of the nicest people in golf. When you can sit and have a prolonged conversation with him about so many other things outside of golf, on in in any on any given subject on any given day, I just don't buy it. When you look at what he has accomplished, look. But he's Tiger a Woods different. He's prime, a different person inside the ropes than he is outside. There's no doubt about it. I don't agree inside, with that. Inside the ropes on a Sunday, he wants, he wants to bash your brains in. Oh, absolutely. I think they all want to bash each other's brains in. I, I don't know that that changes just because your demeanor is a little bouncy because you're smiling because you're talking. That doesn't mean I don't want to beat you. I mean, I totally get that. I'm just not buying the concept. I'm not going down the line of thought that he's not mean enough to get it done because I have seen others who, let's quite frankly, Outwardly aren't mean enough, but yes, they have that gear, whatever it is, to get it done in the biggest moments, major championships, world number one, Ryder Cups, whatever it might be. I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more cutthroat mentality from, from Tony Fiona. I'm not saying he needs to start scowling or he needs to get into an altercation with his playing partner or, with you there. or, or bite his that. caddy's head off. I would just like to see a little bit more fire. If you look at those players who are in the top 10 of the world rankings, if you take Adam Scott out of it, and I think Adam Scott can run hot at times, those guys all have a little bit of a mean streak in them when they get in contention. They have that little bit of a fire. Justin Thomas certainly comes to mind as a, as a player 
who absolutely wants to go out and win and not just win by one or two. He wants to absolutely blow you away. There's just some miss Adam Scott. Well, you're going to see him next week in in San Francisco. He's, he's going to be back. But I, I think, I think there is a quality that everyone shares. I'm not saying that you need to be Tiger Woods. You need to have Steve Williams chucking cameras and, and berating fans. I'm not saying you need to do that. I'm just saying there needs to be a little bit more um, intensity, a little bit more aggression uh, when you do have an opportunity to, to go to go ahead and seize it. Perhaps, perhaps, and I think that's fair. And we could we could sit and have this conversation, but we, there's a lot of things I wanted to touch on. So let's move along. Talking about being world number one, the newest world number one, John Rahm. He is now entering his second week. It, it was interesting hearing his, and you were in on the Zoom call press conference just a few minutes ago, him talking about what it means to him. And, and I was curious, did he celebrate the victory at Memorial more or did he celebrate getting to world number one? Because when you make getting to world number one a goal when you're 13 or 14 years old, that is, that's a level of fixation that I'm very fascinated by because I, I have 13 and 14-year-old kids. And trust me, they don't think in that realm. They're not thinking about being the best at whatever it is they do. Now, I, and I certainly can appreciate how quickly he has gotten here. My question to you is, does he have the staying power to make this a long-term ordeal? Oh, of course he does. I mean, there's a, there's a completeness to his game. There's a, there's a reason why he was inside the, the top 25 in the world ranking just a year removed from college. I mean, this guy has all the tools to, to be very, very special. He, he certainly uh, improved his fitness out of the quarantine. He says he feels great. He's ready for this stretch of, of six huge tournaments here in the next nine weeks. And, you know, I think that was one area that, that, that maybe needed to be addressed was just his physical shape. And, you know, he's, he's hitting the ball farther. He's hitting it accurately. His iron play has improved uh, his touch. we we saw it at the 16th hole at, at Jack's place, the, the touch he displayed around the green, please don't make it a, a, a penalty reference here is, is just off the charts. And, and so there's, there's no real weakness in his game. So I, I totally agree um, that he, he does have some staying power here. And I thought it was an interesting question. Obviously there, there really is no celebrating in this COVID area, right? Like you're not going to go have a huge celebration with your <laughs> friends and family or, or go clubbing, whatever you're going to do uh, for a couple of days, go on a bender. You just don't do that anymore. Um, so I, I do I do think it was important to a have the lifelong goal that was checked off and b that was also his most significant victory now on the PGA Tour. This is a player who has aspirations to win not just one major but but several majors, and so the fact that he was able to win a, a prestigious Invitational like the Memorial I think portends well here as we get into a to a beefy part of the season or year I should yeah. say. And I'm going to take the easiest, cheapest way out here. I'm going to go straight down the lane of least resistance. Is he now the best player without a major? I thought you said it was Bryson. I'm asking you. I, I still believe it's Bryson, given what he is able to do with the golf ball right now. However, I think John Rahm certainly enters the conversation after what he did at Memorial, which was, let's face it, a major light. Yeah, absolutely. John Rahm is, is easily the best player in the world. I think if, you, if you're looking at resumes, uh, you, would put, you would put Bryson there. I think, then I think you'd have to look at a, a Cantlay. You'd have to look at um, a Xander. Those types of players. But I think John Rahm has clearly established himself as the best player in the world who has not yet won a major. There he is, the king of now, urgency of the moment. What have you done for me lately? It is John Rahm. Says, says the guy who said undisputed that Bryson is the best player in the world until further notice, and that further notice should have come at the Memorial when he got exposed on not just a, a brawny golf course, but also one that yes. finally, finally demanded precision. 
Uh, no, absolutely. Fair enough. And it, look, we were, and who does not I have better than a top 15 it. finish? It does not have better than a 15th place. Finish I would in ask Kaz to put a rewind in here. And I said with the caveat that I want to see him do this on a major championship type course in Mirfield village was that major championship course. I'm not going to revisit that because we've already had that conversation. I do want to revisit just real quickly and only because I just got off the phone with Colt Nost. And that is, that is not a humble brag. I like Colt. He's one of my favorite people, but that's not why I do it out there. And it's because Colt, is the one who made the bet with Phil back in 2016 here in Memphis, as a matter of fact, during a rain delay. And he was listening to Phil being Phil is the way he described it, bragging about how good John Rahm, who had not turned pro yet at this time, bragging about he will be a top 10 player within a year. We can sit here and, and, and go through all of the bona fides. Long story short, he became a top 10 player within a year. And then, of course, he got the world number one just two weeks ago. Talking with Colt. The best part is, is how much pain. And he did it at Colonial within a year of that, a few, you know, within like eight months after that. And he said he was actually sitting in a bar pre-COVID and watching it on TV. And when he makes the putt to, to get to the top 10 in the world, he says, I've never collapsed to the floor in my life. And he just collapsed to the floor and laid there while all his friends laughed. <laughs> that, that's a great story. I remember uh, 2016 NCAA, John Rahm was just about to turn pro. And at the time, Tim Mickelson, Phil's brother, uh, was the head coach of the Sun Devils, and we're watching Rom hit hit balls in the range. And I said, you know, what's the what's the ceiling for this guy? And Tim Mickelson turns to me dead serious and goes, "He's Phil Mickelson, but a better driver." I said, uh... "Phil Mickelson, the generation's second best player, the guy who's won forty something times in the PGA Tour." And... <laughs> I said, "That guy with the one with five majors?" He goes, "Yeah, him." That's good. How many times have you used that line from Tim? A uh, couple. Definitely use it in my profile of him. Yeah. I, oh, I would have trot that out. He's, I would have trotted he's it out. Phil Mickelson, but a better driver. Hmm. Well, that is interesting. Um, I don't know who else could have been compared to him on that level, but yeah, I can I can certainly see that. Um, again, moving things along quickly because we have a lot to sort of dissect, and this is more looking ahead this week, I guess, but more to next week PGA Championship. If you look at what happened last week at the 3M. Brooks Tepka missed the cut. DJ WD with what was described as a back injury, I believe it was. Yep. Who had the highest level of concern, Brooks or DJ? Uh, in the short term, probably DJ. I'm, I'm very curious to see how he plays this week at TPC Southwind, a, a golf course where he's had plenty of success. He's, he's a two-time winner there. We all remember the walk-off in 2018 where he held his approach on, on 18. It seems like he always plays well there. And then heading into a, a PGA championship where you would have thought coming off the travelers victory uh, that he would have certainly been on your list of, of top five favorites. And yet he went 80, 80 at Memorial, the worst 36 hole score of his career, and then walked off after an opening 78 uh, talking to, to David Winkle, DJ's manager. He said, look, it was, it was just kind of precautionary re, uh, rest and treatment for a couple of days. He should be good to go definitely uh, for these next two weeks. So I, I think, in the short term, I'm just kind of curious to see how he plays. Um, and I think this is also a, a, sh a show-me week for, for Brooks, Rex, in, this, in the sense that coming off a missed cut uh, at the 3M, he's got one top 10 all season long. I, I do think it is interesting, and if it's going to make a difference, it would be now. He obviously is the defending champion here this week, TBC Southwind, WDC FedEx St. Jude Invitational. But also, for the first time since the pandemic, he's going to have his short game coach, Pete Cowan, uh, in Memphis, working with him this week. 
let's see if they can get him right in kind of that, that tandem with Claude Harmer in the third, just to kind of get his, his swing back in order and kind of get him imbued with that confidence that, that we know that, that Brooks Kepka likes to play with. I, I'm with you on this one. Actually, I'll come out and say it because I think you tried to dance around it. Brooks, I'm much more concerned. I have no idea where this is going to end up. And it is good that Pete is going to be here in Memphis because they haven't had the opportunity to work. But it's not been Brooks' short game that is necessarily the issue. The issue is the knee. Because as you pointed out at Memorial, Brooks he just said can't it, Brooks said it's not an excuse. Yeah. It's not an excuse. But look, if you're not 100%, you, there's not a lot you can do about it. You can try to be the tough guy and you can try to grit your way through it. But the fact of the matter is when you're competing at this level and, and you wrote a really good story at Memorial about how he just can't transfer his weight with certain lies. I mean, it's not all the time. And I think it uphill lies if I remember the story correctly. And it's just because that left knee isn't as stable as it needs to be. So I'm not quite sure what Pete can really do for him. Look, DJ is concerning because of his last three rounds. And of course, anytime a player withdraws with some sort of injury, you're always going to be curious what, what's going on, but he just won. So clearly he's doing something right. So I don't have really many concerns when it comes to DJ. It's Brooks because not only have I not seen anything since the restart, really this entire season, but certainly since the restart, and I don't see anything on the horizon. And for Brooks, it's, he's running out of time very, very quickly. I mean, as it stands right now, he's not qualified for the playoffs, and he now has essentially two weeks. I'm not quite sure if he would play Wyndham, maybe three weeks, to even qualify for the playoffs, and that would be a wasted season in my opinion. Yeah, he's not he's not going to be playing six in a row certainly. So I think Wyndham is 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 off the cards for him. He's 155th in the standings. I did a little math computation. He needs basically like a top five this week in order to to crack that 125. And then you know if he can win or have another good finish at the PGA, that should get him uh, at least eligible for the playoffs. But look, his his goal is to make it to the Tour Championship in, in East Lake, and and barring a win. He's just, he's just not going to get there. I mean, unless he strings a couple of top three finishes together, I wouldn't put it past him. He's defending champion this week, and he's going for the three-pay at the PGA. Barring, barring that, it's going to be a very short and disappointing season for Brooks Capital. We look at where we were at the end of 2019 with, with Brooks taking some pot shots at Rory saying, you know, he doesn't really have any rivals and he's not looking in the rearview mirror. He's sixth now in the world rankings. He has one top ten all season long. It's been nothing short of a disaster. Uh, of a of a 2020 for Brooks Koepka, he still has time to salvage it. There's still three majors here. Not years. a lot of we, time. Not a lot of look, time. we got we got three majors. I'm talking in three about months. the season. You're talking about the year. The yeah, season, I mean, I'm 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 looking I'm looking, more... I'm looking at 2020 the, for the season. The season it's just about shot. Uh, but he can salvage Ooh. his 2020, which I think is what he would at this point like to do. Um, there's still time to do it, but this is going to be the ultimate test, Rex, for Brooks Koepka. He's been known to flip a switch before and look indifferent and out of sorts during regular season tour events, and you put him at a major or WGC, and he's an entirely different player, this is the greatest test he ever has because his game is, is totally out of sorts. Okay, I want Kaz to clip that so we can circle back around. His season is just about shot. Because that one's going to come back to bite. He's 155th in the, in the season. I'm not saying standings. it's going to, but there's He's going to play two more times. I'm going to make that my ringtone if that one comes back to bite you. As a quick aside, and this kind of goes to the idea. Steve Stricker is probably thanking his lucky stars that the Ryder Cup got pushed to next year because, as we just pointed out, BK and DJ, one and two currently on the U.S. points list, are not playing their best golf and are both nursing injuries. Bryson DeChambeau does not look like the consistent player after missing the Except cut like three weeks ago, we would have said, oh, the, uh, the Euros are going to get out. absolutely crushed. And three the, weeks the, ago, we would have said the Euros would get crushed. To, 
and the man who I wanted to make the transition, it, Tiger Woods is 11th, and he is not in the field this week. So my guess is Stricker is probably pretty happy we pushed this back a year. Kick the can. Thank you very much. Three weeks ago, you would have said they would have gotten crushed. Kyle Morikawa was winning. Bryson had just won. Brooks was coming off at least a top 10 at, at Hilton Head. DJ just won at the Travelers. You would have thought a couple weeks ago they're going to get crushed. Admit it. Yeah, probably. But I you're don't. A well, no, no, not necessarily. Of the no, and no, now not you're necessarily. saying you're now you're saying Steve Stricker's thanking his lucky stars that this thing got pushed to 2021. He is. Have because some, they would have gotten some, crushed. Have some conviction. I do have conviction. Have Although when you look at the European team, it's not like they were going to come in riding high. Uh, but the reason I point that out is because I wanted to make the transition to Tiger Woods, who is not in the field Terrible this week transition. in Memphis. Uh, he has won this event a lot, although he has never played TPC Southwind. As we know, this is the event that got moved from Akron, Firestone, where he dominated. He has never played here, which I guess in, on one hand would make it no huge surprise that he did not show up this week with a major looming next week. However, it goes to what I asked him at the Memorial, which is why haven't you played? before Jack's place. And his answer to me was, I wanted to see how things played out. Well, I think we can all agree that things have played out pretty well for the PGA Tour. There have been positive tests. We all knew that was going to happen, but by and large, been many. there haven't been many. And the percentages are very, very small. Tiger Woods did not look great at Memorial. Why isn't he here this week? I think it's a good question. I think it suggests um, that he's not, not totally comfortable with where his body is, uh, which is unfortunate after having five months away. Uh, that he's not in a place where he could even consider playing back-to-back weeks. Obviously, his focus, he said, was on the PGA Championship next week and also even the, the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, but coming off two rounds at Memorial where he shot 76 um, and was dreadful on the greens, um, he, he clearly thought that preserving his brittle body and doing some more work at home at, at Medalist or on his backyard uh, was going to be more beneficial to him than, than playing in hot, steamy Memphis in a golf course that does it bears little resemblance to what he's going to find at, at Harding Park. Uh, I'd be shocked, Rex, if, if Tiger's not in San Francisco by the weekend uh, in terms of just getting used to the weather there, getting used to the golf course, uh, kind of developing a, a game plan and a strategy for how he wants to a- attack the PGA um, because he's certainly not going to be getting any more competitive reps, which he's, he's going to be stuck on four competitive reps since February. I was going to ask that. Reps or competitive reps? Which one? Which, which one really matters? Because that was his practice, answer. Practice reps. Okay. Just practice reps. And maybe there's something to that. Look, we don't, I don't even think we can pretend to know what's going on with Tiger Woods' body these days. As you pointed out, it's brittle. I mean, he said it himself on last Thursday when things did not go his way on a golf course where he has had a lot of success, he simply did not wake up on the right side of the bed. I don't know, however, if this is just a matter of – is he on a pitch count? Is he making himself – do this or can he physically I think he's making himself on a pitch count to preserve his golf career as long as it's as long as possible so I mean given that and we know that it's not the WGC that he is investing in here this isn't what really matters to him he wants to win the PGA championship he wants to win the Masters and the U.S. Open later this year given that idea where would you put his chances going into the PGA after for what we can call let's call them substandard competitive reps the only bright spot for Tiger is, is his iron play. I mean, that's, that is the hallmark of what it takes to win a major championship, especially at a place like, like TBZ Harding Park where the rough is going to be brutal uh, and the greens are going to be firm. 
iron play is the hallmark of, of major champions. So the fact that Tiger's iron play, and he, he remains one of the preeminent iron players in the PJ Tour, I think bodes well. However, from what I saw at the Memorial, I wouldn't even, come, I wouldn't even think about putting him in my top 10 favorites. No. Not in the top 10. I'd like to see that list if Tiger Woods is not going to be on him. Because I would agree with you that the one thing that stood out from Memorial it, when, I mean, even just to make the cut on Friday was his iron play because he drove it horribly. I mean, there's no way he should have made the cut by any measure. And yet somehow he grinded it out and made it to the weekend. But I'm not I sure still... I put Tiger in my top 20 favorites. Oh, man. Wow, you just keep taking steps and steps. All right, well, I'm, we're going to have to see that list. Maybe we can go through it next Monday. <laughs> we can, yeah, we can certainly do it next, next week. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you if he's, if he's between uh, 10, 20, or maybe, maybe if he cracks the top 30. Is there going to be a tour? I mean, is there going to be a club pro that you're going to put ahead of him? Because I'm really curious who those 20 players that you're going to put above Tiger Woods at Harding Park are going to be. I mean, Tiger's 15th in the world ranking, so I can you can make a very good case for 14. Maybe not Adam okay, Scott, who, has, who hasn't, 14. who basically hasn't played since since 2014. Um, I'm not sure I put Adam Scott ahead of him, but there's some guys outside the top 15 I would certainly think about putting ahead of him. Yeah, all right. Well, that that's a list. I, I expect to see that list circulated next week to me and Kaz before the podcast, so we can go through it point by point to make sure you've covered all your bases. Now, I, I again, have, I have covered them worth celebrating again for the second consecutive week that we get to the final topic and we have not talked about COVID-19 we have not talked about pandemics or fluid situations or any of that nonsense however it is worth bringing up this week the tour did change its policy this week to allow those players who continue to test positive who meet certain guidelines and, and we all know who those players are it's Harris English Dylan Fratelli and Denny McCarthy they're going to allow them back into the general population they're going to allow them back into the locker room they're going to allow them back into workout facility and allow them to be paired with other players this is per cdc guidelines it's like people are going to have opinions on this i've discovered however the tour is not making these decisions randomly they're following the cdc guidelines i guess what i would have a hard time wrapping my mind around and as we we have pointed out this has been a successful experiment by any measure for the pga tour but given what we have seen in major league baseball where it looked like half the marlins team went down after their first series is this maybe a little bit too aggressive on the pga tours part no i don't think so i think you have to rely on the the expert opinions of of these health professionals and if the cd says if the cdc says by this point that they're not contagious but they still may be having positive tests with the dead virus being picked up by some of these tests which i think we can uh, can say conclusively now is that they're not 100 percent reliable then then yes i think it's fine to to put them back in the quote-unquote general population. They're still mixing with the general population, uh, traveling to each side on the PGA Tour. I'm not sure why you would need to feel a, situ uh, feel a sense that they need to be continue to be isolated from their, from their peers in the PGA Tour um, as well. I do think it is interesting and worth pointing out again the success that the PGA Tour has had considering some of the fallout that we've now seen, not just in Major League Baseball, where, as you mentioned, the Marlins are almost up to 20 uh, players and staff members who have, have tested positive. They clearly have an outbreak, and games are being canceled left and right. And also now on the NFL front, with the Monday deadline to decide whether these players want to uh, participate in this season, we've already seen some big-name players starting to opt out. I think we're going to see more here over the next five or six days before this deadline comes, you've already seen six New England Patriots who have taken the voluntary opt-out 
of the season because of the of the pandemic. This has led to all sorts of conspiracy conspiracy theories that this is Bill Belichick uh, trying to tank for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Rex, we can get into that on another podcast. Um, but I think you're going to see this more and more. And and look, it, it all we've said this over and over. It comes down to personal accountability. And if everyone is buying in, and if everyone wants to make this a success and does what they need to do, and they follow the guidelines, then you can have a successful product. But that is more difficult to do uh, in Major League Baseball, in the NFL, than it is in the PGA Tour. And I think that's obvious. No, I would agree with that. And the part that has struck me, having been at the first two events at Colonial and Hilton Head, in an interesting world, I find players, caddies, officials, even media, taking it more seriously now than maybe we did those first two weeks. And I'm not saying that, we, again, we were cavalier about it, but I think you're not seeing those high fives. You're seeing players adhere to the rules that the, the PGA Tour set out. So, yes, I think there's a level of consistency on the PGA Tour that maybe you're not seeing early, especially in the M- MLB. I don't know about the NBA because they're inside that bubble, so I'm not even sure this applies. But it's certainly concerning. And, again, I'll fall back on the idea that you have to give the tour credit. They have made right decision after right decision, and we haven't had the outbreaks that everyone predicted. And I think if they're going to take this opportunity to continue to evolve the policy, and we've talked about them being able, being willing to adjust, then I'm – I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on that. Uh, one last thing before I get out of here, me being in Memphis, you being the biggest barbecue fan I know, if I had to make a choice between Rendezvous and, let's say, Commissary, Germantown, which one would it be? Uh, I would say Rendezvous just for the historic aspect and the fact that uh, I need you to pick up some more rub for me. Uh, but, a, but a place that you haven't been, that you need to go, just to say you've been, is Gus's fried chicken you have to go you have to go rex it's going to be spicy uh you're going to have some issues uh but nothing that a, that a cold beer can't handle i don't mind spicy I, I like spicy i'm a big fan of spicy however i just think sometimes when you combine that with a, you know my relationship with ipas isn't great at sometimes so i think sometimes it gets a little bit sideways with me but i i'll take you up on that one so gus's it is that's the one i have to go to this week gus's gus's and uncle lou's those those are your fried chicken places that you need to go in Memphis. And then next week in San Francisco for barbecue, I suggest stay in your room. Got it. Wait, room it service. Right. That'll do it for this Golf Central podcast presented by TaylorMade and the all-new Sim Driver. We'll talk to you next week. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.